<laughs> hey, I've got a quick announcement for everyone. Uh, Anna Lures, who runs our children's ministry and who also is uh, uh, battling with cancer right now, there some of the gals are throwing her a surprise birthday party on Friday. If you would like to go, everyone's invited. Whoever would like to come, you're welcome to come. Uh, just call Alexis Daly, who's doing our college ministry right now. Uh, Brian and Alexis are here. You can talk to her tonight or call Stacy Beam. If you don't have either of their numbers, see me and I'll get you their number so that you can uh, attend and have a good time. <clears throat> Every once in a while, it's good to uh, celebrate something instead of uh, always looking at the storm clouds, I guess. If you got your Bibles with you tonight, I invite you to open up to the book of Judges. And we're going to, to finish up uh, chapter 12 and take a look at chapter 13 tonight. As we do, we want to remind ourselves, we just finished up talking about Jephthah uh, and his willingness to keep uh, the vow that he made to the Lord, keeping his promises to God. And uh, the Bible tells us that Jephthah, as a result of the promise that he made to the Lord, he has no grandchildren, no other children. His line ends with him, but he was willing to, uh, to make that sacrifice and to keep his promise, his vow to the Lord. Now you remember last time we finished up in verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 12 it says, And Jephthah judged Israel six years, and Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. Now we're going to enter into three judges, three judges for whom very little is known. But I believe as we take a look at what the Bible does tell us about them, the Bible will give us some clues, some insight into to what these men were all about, what these men um, were focused on. The scripture says, And after him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage. And he brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel for seven years. Now, when we look at this, there's a lot of things that we can pull from. But here's what I want you to see. Every single word, every story, everything that the Bible lays out for us, it lays out for, for a purpose. And here's what I see in Ibzan. I see in him the quality that was missing throughout the nation of Israel. And that was a man who led his family well. He led his family well. How do we know he led his family well? He had 30 daughters, and he gave those 30 daughters away. One of the most important things that they could do in those days was to find a husband, a quality husband for their daughters and quality wives for his sons. And the scripture lays out for us that that's what he did. He had 30 sons, and he had 30 daughters. And his 30 daughters, he, he found men for them. The scripture lays that out for us, that he found husbands for them. He ruled his family well. Listen, here's one of the things that was missing at that time. Remember, there was no king in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own heart. Scripture lays out for us, for you and I, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that we ought to have Jesus Christ ruling and reigning as the king of our life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. So making Jesus king, the scripture lays out for us in Romans, says to confess the Lord Jesus with our mouth. That concept in salvation, confess the Lord, that Jesus is Lord of your life. It's not, Lord is not his first name. Jesus is not his middle name. Christ is not his last name. To confess the Lord Jesus means that you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. He's the Lord of your life. And so making him that king, letting him rule. And in the time of Judges, that wasn't happening. And part of the reason it wasn't happening is because men were not fulfilling their roles within the family. To raise up their children to follow the Lord. To guide them in their relationships. That they would be equally yoked. Equally yoked together with someone that's going to also bring about a, a, a grandchild that follows the Lord. That we multiply that through 
what the scripture laid out for us in Deuteronomy, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us to talk to our children. When we sit down, when we rise up, when we're hanging out, when we're going this way, we're going that way, to look for opportunity to talk about the Lord no matter what we're doing. To point the way to Jesus. To point to Him. And I think that's what He did here. The Scripture lays them out. Tells us this for a reason. It's not just for Bible trivia. Who's the fellow who had 30 sons and 30 daughters? That's not what it's for. I think that's what He's laying out for us. Hey, this guy, he, he, he who judged Israel, he judged Israel by ruling his family well. The Scripture lays out for us that one of the requirements of a bishop or of an elder is that he rules his family well that he he not that his family's perfect it doesn't say that but that he takes this seriously we don't hear of any battles we don't hear of any big fight we don't hear of any big deliverance but the lord names him in the word remembers his name and says here's what i remember about him he had 30 sons and he found wives for him and he had 30 daughters and he found husbands for them I mean, that's a, that's a good example for a time where people don't care about any of those things or don't think that any of those things are important, that we're guiding, directing, leading the next generation to the Lord. Well, it says in verse 10, Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. And after him, Elon, the Zebulonite, judged Israel. And he judged Israel for ten years. And Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried in a Hijalon in the country of Zebulun. Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried in a Hijalon. Now, why is that important? Listen, the word Elon or, means uh, plain. And the word Hijalon is the same root word. And nobody knows where this place is. Most commentators say that because of the life that this judge lived, the town changed its name to name itself after him. And then he was buried in that place. That there was no battle, there was no fight, but he was involved in walking with the Lord in such a way that the town named itself after him and followed that example. Ten years following his example, not as he had some incredible victory in a battle, not as he, you know, defeated a giant or did some of the things that we'll read about as we go through the judges, but because he was an example of allowing God to be king in his life. And the people of that town saw that, changed the name of their town, named the town after him, so that when he died, he was buried in that city, the city that bears his name. 13 goes on, says, After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys, and he judged Israel for eight years. So we come to Abdon. Now, Abdon, again, prolific. A lot of kids, right? He has... Uh, 40 sons, and he has 30 grandsons. And what I love about it, the scripture ties all of them together. He has 40 sons, 30 grandsons, and all of them are riding on donkeys. That means all of them are those who would pursue peace. That's what the donkey was a symbol of throughout scripture, those who would pursue peace. We have 40 sons and the grandsons. So grandpa was not just involved in his son's lives and raising them up, but he was also involved in his grandson's lives. He was also involved in being that example for them. And he led them, guided them, directed them so that their desire would be to walk in peace, to be children of peace, to follow the spiritual leadership of father and grandpa. And he became a judge of Israel. Listen, here's why this is important, because we read the book of heroes, and we start to think that the only hero in the Bible is the guy who did this amazing thing. The guy who took 300 against, you know, 132,000. Or the guy who, you know, was so strong he could pick up the city gate and carry it 38 miles. 
or the, the guy who, you know, did any number of the incredible things. And we start to think that way about heroes, but that's not how God thinks about them. You go back through the book of Judges and see how many judges are listed this way. No exploits, no battles, no wars, just men who led their families well. Just men who poured out their lives for the next generation. It's, that life's not wasted. Poured into your children, poured into your grandchildren, poured into others. And we think that the hero, the judge, the deliverer can only be that guy who does that amazing thing. But that's not how God lays it out. He lays out these three and there were three before that. He lays them out for us so that we would look at them and say, you know what? These guys are heroes of God's word just as much as Gideon and Jephthah and Samson. Just as much as those who did incredible feats. But what they did was take the word of God and what God's word teaches and they brought it into the home. And they made that their life. They lived it. They were what God called them to be. Men, husbands, fathers, those who would direct their children. I think it's a beautiful thing, man. And, and so often when we go through Scripture, we'll just get over them because Samson's coming. You know, we want to hurry up and get to Samson, that big old strong guy, you know. But I don't want to jump over these guys. I want to say that we need judges or heroes in our world today just like these guys. We love their kids, love their families, lead their family according to God's word. And God's word is simple, right? Deuteronomy lays it out for us that a, a father should talk to his children about the, about the Lord. When you rise up, when you sit down, when you lie down, when you get up, wherever you're going, put it on your doorpost, right? That your home is founded on the word of God. Put it on the backs of your hands. Why is that important? So that whatever I'm doing, I can see. Oh, that's right. I need to make sure what I'm doing is honoring to the Lord. Put it as frontlets between your eyes. Well, the Jews missed that point. They put a big box on their forehead. The idea of, of frontlets between your eyes is almost better understood headlights. That thing which shines down for you that you can see where you're going, what you're doing as frontlets between your eyes, as that guiding post. The Word of God guides. I see it on my hand so that I know what I'm doing. And I live my life practically just doing the things God says. Hey man, God thinks someone who lives their life following Him is a hero. And we shouldn't... We shouldn't bring that down and expect it to be something different these three guys heroes never fought a battle never delivered an enemy listen here's what i think is really important about that god knows their name and he wrote down their lives and i think that's important for us because i think god's still in the business of doing that today the word of god is finished he's not writing any new books but i promise you He's recording. And it's important that he knows your name. And it's important that you live your life following the example of these men. A life given over totally to the Lord. Verse 15, he says, Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, died and was buried in Pirithon in the land of Ephraim in the mountains of the Amalekites. Now again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now through Jaffa and those three guys, we, we relatively, we, we have in a, in a neighborhood of 30 some years of peace. You know, judges going on. And then as soon as that last judge died, it doesn't take people very long, right? Then they go right back to their old ways. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. What was the evil that they did? They exchanged the true and living God for other gods. Now they didn't. I want you to understand this. They didn't abandon God. They were still happy to go to the tabernacle. And offer their offerings. But they added to the Lord. All these other gods. They added to their relationship with God. All these other things. And I think it's important. That we consider our own lives. 
Are we, is God our thing? Is he it? Is he the center? Or are we adding our life to him or his, him to our life? We give him a little corner, a little piece. We notch out, you know, Wednesday and Sunday. Or is he Lord? Is he our Lord and Savior? Is he feel all? Is he it? That's what we want. These guys, the judges, they again did evil inside the Lord. It wasn't necessarily that one day they weren't sacrificing, you know, humans to other gods and the next day they were. It just was they again began to mix in all this stuff. And not just accept God's word, but they had to add all these other things, all these other rituals, all these other plans, all these other forms of worship that gratified the flesh. They mixed all that in. Again, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them in the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, there's one more judge we're going to talk about after Samson. And, uh, you know, you could call him the last judge or the first prophet. It doesn't make any difference to me. But uh, here's what you're going to note about this last time. The children of Israel go into 40 years of bondage to the Philistines. And they never cry out for deliverance. Every once in a while, you just keep heading down that road, keep making the same mistakes, keep finding yourself in bondage. Pretty soon, you're comfortable there. And you just want to stay. You just want to lay out your bag, plump, plump up your pillow and say, hey, this I've been sleeping on this stone so long, I'm just going to stay on the stone. This is all there is. There isn't anything better. That's how it was. Listen, the Lord sends a deliverer, but the people never ask for him. They're satisfied. 40 years of bondage to the Philistines. They never cry out. They never call upon the name of the Lord. And they never repent. And God begins a work through this man, Samson. And, and understand that the scripture is going to tell us that he began to deliver them. Samson didn't deliver him. Samuel didn't deliver him. It's not until we come all the way to David, at the time of David, that the Lord finishes the deliverance from the, from the Philistines with the children of Israel. That's a long time. But all the way back here, at the beginning of that, God's people don't even want delivered. They don't even want delivered. The Lord needs to come and raise up what? A man after his own heart, right? Who will lead his people. Lead them to that decision where they want to be delivered. Well, it says, now there was a certain man in verse 2 from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren, and they had no children. No children. We ever heard that story before in the Bible? Let's think about it a little bit. We got Abraham and Sarah, right? And then if we include anybody who was having a special child, well, you could say Amram and Jochbed, you know, Moses' mom and dad. Then you've got uh, Hannah and Elkanah, right? Who, who, were, who, who had no children. You've got uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? John the Baptist. Special birth. Well, that leads us right to Mary and Joseph, doesn't it? How many times the Lord comes to those who had no children to bring a special child into their life? Because God calls people from the womb. Right out the gate. God calls us from the womb. Scripture goes on and says in verse 3, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. And he said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful. Here's the requirement for the woman to have this child. Be careful not to drink wine or similar drink. Nothing from the vine. Nothing from a grape. No wine or similar drink. And not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come upon his head. For the child, listen to this, shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. 
Listen, folks taking a Nazarite vow, there was nothing special about that. They've been doing it ever since uh, the book of Leviticus and Numbers is, is written. And it lays out for us what a Nazarite vow was. Nazarite vow was for a time you totally secluding or setting yourself apart unto the Lord. So you didn't drink wine. You didn't drink, eat of the vine. You didn't eat anything unclean. You didn't cut your hair. But you started your vow by shaving all your hair off. And then you entered into a Nazarite vow. I won't cut it again. I'm, I'm not focused on anything else but you, Lord. You wouldn't touch anything dead. All of these things set you apart for a period of time. A lot of people took vows like that. God only called two people to be a Nazarite from birth. John the Baptist and Samson. A Nazarite from birth. Set apart to God. Not going to be focused in any of these other things, man. This is... This is a child set apart wholly unto the Lord. And so he tells his mom, hey, this is what I want. Listen, this is going to be a child of unbelievable promise. And unfulfilled potential. That just about includes every one of us, doesn't it? And probably most of our kids. A child of unbelievable promise and unfulfilled potential. And I love, listen, I love studying Samson, and I'll tell you why. Before we start bagging on Samson, he is so much like us. The reason it's so easy for us to point the finger at Samson is we can see ourselves in him, and it's a lot easier to point out our sin on somebody else. We can see it on him. Maybe we don't notice it within ourselves. So much like us. So much. An opportunity of, of unbelievable promise. Listen, every single one of us, when we gave our life to Jesus Christ, have been filled with the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit of God that did incredible miracles. The Spirit of God that, that can, can accomplish anything. That can do anything. Every one of us who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, has received that spirit. We are all children of unbelievable promise and unfulfilled potential. We all have that opportunity, right? But just like it's been said so many times, it's one thing to know the path, it's another thing to walk it, isn't it? It's one thing to understand intellectually that this is possible. It's a whole other thing to get up, strap it on, and go and do it. It's the same way with Samson. It's the same way. But listen, don't miss this. And, I, and I'm not trying to make nobody feel bad or feel down because where is Samson mentioned? In Hebrews chapter 11. I've heard people preach and teach they didn't even think Samson could be saved. But obviously God knows better, doesn't he? Because Samson is listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as a hero of faith. A hero of faith. Because when God sees us, he sees unbelievable promise. And as far as the east is from the west, he removes unfulfilled potential. And he sees what we are in his son, Jesus Christ. It should free us to go beyond where we've ever been. It should free us because, man, God already looks at us as heroes. He already looks as, as, as having that righteousness which comes from Jesus Christ. Having all that opportunity and all that potential. He already sees that in us. He sees what we can be, not what we are. So that can propel us, can encourage us, go. Anything that God lays on your heart, any call that God puts on you, he gives you the power to achieve. Anything. Anything. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be worried about unfulfilled potential. All we have to do is get in the game. 
Get off the sideline. Start being a part of what God wants us to be. What God wants us to do. Well, let's see. He, she, he tells the mother these things. And so the woman came and told her husband. And she said, a man of God came to me. And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not, I did not ask him where he was from. And he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you will conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child will be a Nazarite to God from the womb till the day of his death. Now Manoah, her husband, he's a little bit curious. Who is this fella? Who's this guy who told you this? So Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, oh my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Well, it says the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said... Uh, said to him, look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he, and he said, I love this, I am. I always love it when God, how many times God fits that phrase in. I am. I am the ego I me. Well, it's the name of God. The Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, you call it anything you want. It's when Moses came to the Lord and said, Who shall I tell the children of Israel has sent me? And God says, Tell them I am. So he asks, Are you the one? Are you the guy? And he responds to him. He says, I am. And Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life in his work? Now Manoah... He's got a question. What's, what's, the, what's this boy going to do in his life? What's going to be his rule of life? You know, how, what kind of work is he going to do? I love it. Manoah asks God a question. And God says, I'm not going to answer that question. Listen, God had already told Manoah and his wife, here's what I want you to do. Drink no wine, eat no unclean food. Your child will be a Nazarite from birth. He had already printed out, right, in Deuteronomy, what a father is supposed to do for his children. He would already had the example of the three judges prior. He had all these things going on in his life. And so God says, I've already told you my word. I don't have anything else to say until you do that you got to do that. You ever wondered why God's silent in your life? Well, I don't hear God speaking to me. Could it be that God has already instructed you in his word, but you're not being obedient to that? God's already said, here's what I want. Here's how I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. This is where I want your focus to be. Well, Manoah asked the question, what will be? And so the angel of the Lord said, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. In other words, I need her to do what I already said. Right? I need her to do what I've already told her. So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Listen, a lot of times in our life, we're looking for God to move or God, we want God to do some new thing, but we're trapped, we're stuck because God in his word has already revealed the basic elements of our obedience to him and the life that he wants us to live, but we're being disobedient to it. And we say, Lord, I want your direction. Lord, I want you to show me. Lord, I want you to tell me. And God would say to us the same thing he said to Manoah. I have already told you in my word what to do. Do it. I've already instructed you in my word. Live it. 
Manoah at one time, he's saying, Lord, we, we want the Lord to tell us how, how shall we raise this child? God never told him how to raise it. God had already told him, right? Deuteronomy's already written. They have it. Read it. It says how to raise up your children. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. You will love him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and you will teach these things to your children when they rise up and when they lie down, when they walk in the way. You will bind them on the backs of your hands and his frontlets between your eyes. You will set your foundation on the word of God. Your posts, the doorposts, the posts of your house will be founded on the word. It's already told them. This is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to go. Now, think about all the things God's already told us. We're, we're a little bit ahead of where Manoah was, right? We've got the whole word of God. We've got everything that he's ever told us. Everything that he's ever said. Last time I was in jail, we, we had a question asked. Hey, how come God doesn't talk to us like, like he did back then? Well, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us. God, who at various times and in various places spoke to us through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us how? Through his son. We have what Jesus said. We have what Jesus taught. We have what Jesus did. There's nothing else coming that's it. Do this. Do this and you'll live. Do this and you'll experience the things that God wants you to experience. Take the word of God and apply it. Well, Manoah, he's kind of blown away and he's excited about what's going on and what's happening in his life. So he asked, and Manoah said to the angel, the Lord, please let us detain you while we prepare a young goat for you. They're going to have birria. He wants to he wants to make goat tacos. I, I like goat tacos. Have you had goat tacos? No, that's cabrito. Cahua? Cabrito. Well, I don't know. I call it birria. That's a, that's a roasted goat. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to make him goat. He says, hey, I want to I I feed you. I want to I be a good, you know, a hospitable person. So I want to eat. I want to give you something to eat. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Yahweh, to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Listen, this is so cool. So you have the angel of the Lord. Now anytime you have the capital A angel of the capital L-O-R-D, it is what theologians call a Christophany. Theophany, an appearance of Jesus Christ prior to the incarnation. The Bible is very clear. No man can see God and live. That scripture is talking about God the Father. That's why when, when Moses came to God and said, what shall I say your name is? He said, say I am. If you and I were there, and it, certainly for me when I read that scripture, the, the following question after God says, tell them I am, is I am What? And the beautiful thing about that is, the scripture declares to us in the gospel of John that no man has seen God at any time, but the Son of God, who is from the bosom of the Father, he has declared the Father to us. Jesus manifests God in the flesh. He shows us who God is. And... Jesus, it seems like, had several statements that included I am, didn't he? He said, I am the door. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. Over and over and over again, Jesus declares to you and I, I am what? He tells us that God is the becoming one, that he's everything that we need. So here we have the angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ, appearing before the people. Because no man can see God the Father and live, but they can see God the Son, who from the foundation of the world has been crucified for us. By the way, from the foundation of the world is before this moment. How does that make sense? I don't know. That's why he's God. 
He's outside of time, space, continuum. He doesn't have to wrap around his incredible, wonderful, stupendous power in a way that I can get. But there he is. And there's the angel of the Lord standing before him. And so the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, standing before Manoah says, I'm not going to eat with you, but if you want to offer a burnt offering, offer it to the Father, Yahweh. Offer it to the Yahweh. Offer it to the I Am. So Manoah says, well, hey, we can do that. We'll, we'll, we'll offer it. Now, Manoah doesn't know this is the angel of the Lord. This is all going to be made clear in just a few verses. So hang with me. He doesn't know who this guy is. So Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is Pele." Well, in our English Bibles, it says, seeing it is wonderful. It should immediately remind us of Isaiah 9, 6, right? It says, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Yeah? We all know the verse, right? But Pele in the Hebrew is, is much more intense than that. It does not just mean wonderful in the sense of amazing, beautiful, spectacular. It means Secret, incomprehensible. That's the sense in the word wonderful. That which can only be known by revelation. Why do you ask me my name? Seeing it is wonderful, secret, unknowable. A noble, impronounceable name of God, Yahweh. That's just the letters, Y-H-V-H. Nobody knows how to say the name of God. The, the, the history tells us that the high priest on his deathbed would whisper the name to the next high priest. That's the only time they would ever say the name. The impronounceable name of God. Until nobody knew what it was anymore. The consonants are all we have. Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. The reason V and W are interchangeable in the Hebrew alphabet. They're the same letter. And so we look at that and we say, man, he says, listen, my, my name is unknowable. My name is unsearchable. My name is wonderful. And... In, as you're thinking about that, in 2 Corinthians, turn to me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is taken on a little journey. Um, and he talks a little bit about it, whether in the body or in the spirit, I know not. Remember the man who was brought into the third heaven? It says in verse 3 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up in the paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. That, in the Greek, carries the exact same idea as the word pele. Incomprehensible words. Things that are past understanding. Unable to even express or to speak or to say what it was because he met face to face he who is called wonderful. So here he asks way back in Judges, he says, what's your name? Seeing that it is wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat with a grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a pele. An incomprehensible, unsearchable, wonderful thing. He did a pele while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their face to the ground. So he's offering the sacrifice. He kills the goat. He lays it upon the rock. They light the fire. And as the fire goes up, 
the angel of the Lord enters into the flame and goes up into the heavens. Proof that a sacrifice is acceptable. How do we know the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was acceptable? Because after he rose, he ascended to the Father. The same way the angel of the Lord here in this place ascended to the Father. Jackie, I don't know about all this. I think you might be stretching a little bit. It's a little bit rough for me to grasp, a little bit rough for me to, to really get my hands around this. Well, let's take a look. And so they fell on their faces, and it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have what? We shall surely die because we have seen God. There's no question about what's going on. It takes us 2,000 years to mess that up. The angel of the Lord is God in the flesh. God in the flesh goes by the name Yeshua, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. Fully God, fully man. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three in one. Clearly taught throughout Scripture. A lot of people stumble over that concept of the Trinity. Oh, I don't really understand the Trinity. Listen, here's all you need to understand about the Trinity. The Bible defines it for us. The Bible lays it out for us in the book of Genesis because of something in theology called the rule of first mention. The rule of first mention means the first way a word is mentioned carries with it the basic understanding and meaning of that word. For example, the first time love is used in the scripture, it is used between a father to his son who is being sacrificed. It was Abraham who loved Isaac, whom God said to offer on the hill that he was showing. The first time this particular word is ever used in scripture, it's used in Genesis. That's about as early as you can get. Would you agree? First book. For this reason a man shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The word the two shall become one is the word echad. In the Hebrew it means one. It's not yahid, which means one and only one, because we know when I got married... I did not, we did not miraculously become one person. We became echad. Unified. Unified in purpose, unified in goal. Unified where we're going, how we're getting there. We're unified. We're together. We're one. First time that word is ever used in Scripture. Second time is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. When the Scripture says... Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, he is one. It's not yahid, which means one and only, which would seem to be the way if there's one God, one personality, one, only one, that's it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. But he uses the word echad, the same exact word used about the unity between a husband and a wife. The first time the word's ever used is used of a husband and a wife. The basic understanding of how that word can make sense throughout the scripture is in the unity between husband and a wife. When we go to Ephesians chapter 5, the Lord guiding Paul as he talks about the concepts of marriage uses marriage to describe a relationship that we also have with the Lord. That same relationship that Jesus prayed about in John chapter 17 when he said, I pray that they would be one even as we are one. I and the Father, the Father in me. Scripture is clear. Throughout Scripture, it's taught. 
In the beginning, God. First place God's ever used. By the way, that's Genesis 1.1. You can't really get before that. In the beginning, God. The word for God there is Elohim. Elohim is a plural used in a singular sense. It breaks all the rules of linguistics. If you were in school and you took Spanish, you were not allowed to put together plural uh, uh, words or plural um, nouns together with singular verbs. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that you say we when you mean yourself. But when you come to Genesis 1-1, God uses we. In the beginning, God. We. Plural. El is a word for God. Singular. Elah is a word for duality or two. Any more than that is Elohim. God. Plural. Well, maybe that's the only place it happens. No, actually, that happens not only in Genesis 1-1, but in every single book, in every single chapter, all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. Everywhere. God is used in a plural sense. Why? Because our one God... He's not three gods. He's one. He's one God. Father, invisible in spirit. Son, visible in flesh. And the Holy Spirit. One God. Only one God. Manifested in three persons. Later on, we called that the Trinity. People have been freaking out about it ever since. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible. Oh, well, there's a lot of words not found in the Bible you use every day. Big Mac, it's not in the Bible. Does that mean there's not a Big Mac? It has nothing to do with it. It's like, it's the same kind of argument. No, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Three in one is. Three in one is. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we can see that truth. And Manoah understands it right here, doesn't he? He says, oh, man, that's God. We're in trouble because the Bible said no man can see God and live. This is not a good thing. This is, this is dangerous. I'm, I'm afraid. He's afraid we will surely die because we have seen God. Thank God he had his wife. Right, ladies? Sometimes our wives are queen of common sense. And occasionally we need their help. But his wife said to him, notice I said occasionally, by the way. <clears throat> but his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. That's uh, because that's Jesus' job. He reveals who God is in our life. He reveals who God is and, and what's expected of us. And that's what he did to Manoah. That's what he did to his wife. That's what he did in this situation. Hey, he laid out for him what should be done. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, which means sunny. Isn't it ironic that a child named Sonny would finish his life in darkness? When we think about Samson, we think about all the things that Samson did. I mean, he's, he's going to kill, kill a lion with his bare hands. He's going to slay 30 Philistines, you know, as though he were sneezing. He's going to catch 300 foxes by hand. He's going to break every bond they ever tie him up in until he, he falls. He's going to slay a thousand men. With the jawbone of a donkey. He's going to pick up the Gaza city gate and carry it on his back in one night, 38 miles. And he's going to destroy the temple of the Philistines. But he is a deliverer that could not deliver himself, he is a conqueror 
that could not conquer himself. He is a strong man who didn't know when he was weak. Man, there's so much similarities between us and Samson. So much similarities. He's a pretty fun-loving guy. He's always getting into some kind of ruckus, doing some kind of crazy thing. In fact, most of the book of Judges, the rest of the book of Judges is going to be devoted to him. He does all this stuff. His strength is this weapon to fight and a tool to build. And he uses it like a toy to play with. For a lot of us, our faith, our faith is a weapon to fight and a tool to build with. But a lot of times we play with it like a toy. Samson, he was a loner. He never gathered troops around him. He never led the army into battle. He never united Israel to throw off the Philistine yoke. For 20 years, Samson is going to be the champion. But he's not ever going to be the leader. And as we consider that, think back to those three guys. And what set them apart. What the scripture tells us about them. How they were with their family. And how they were prepared and how they were set. And when we look at Samson's life, you know, a lot of people look at Samson the same way. I promise you, this Samson was not yoked. He was not, he didn't look like a football player with no neck. He didn't have huge biceps. He didn't have giant legs. He didn't walk thumping down the road as this humongous, gigantic man. Because everyone would have looked at him and said, you know, he's strong because he's a big guy. Big and powerful. must work out. That's not what they said. The Bible tells that people looked at Samson and marveled at his strength. How in the world is this guy doing that? Yeah, because he was scrawny. Little skinny guy. It didn't make any sense that he picked up this giant gate at the city and carried it away. But there's something about Samson that's different than there is with every, other, every one of the other judges. Every one of the other judges, the scripture lays out for us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But Samson, it says of Samson, in verse 25, and the Spirit of the Lord, or actually let's back up to 24, and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. The concept behind that verse is that the Lord touched him. God touched Samson. It was different. It was different. And the scripture goes on to tell us in verse 25 that the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahane Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So what that means is Samson lived in a border town right between Israel where Dan was and that tribe of Dan was founded and the Philistines. He lived in a border town. And whenever you wanted to go do something you shouldn't do, you went across the border. What do we see in Samson's life? Whenever he wanted to be disobedient, whenever he wanted to go away, whenever he lived in a border town and he lived a life like a border person. And we can do the same thing, can't we? We can live a life between two worlds. We can live a life on the border, a little bit in, a little bit out. Going across when it suits us, coming back when it suits us but never fully committed. Would you agree? Well, Samson becomes fully committed in the end. We'll see full commitment at the end. But in all that, as we look at all this, as we consider all this, here's my challenge, guys. As we consider the life of Samson, we consider the things he did, we consider the struggles that he has, and the, and the, and the example that he can be to us, and the fact that he was a hero, and that God acknowledges him as a, as a man of great faith. And all these things tell me it doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. Can you finish well, and we always got an opportunity to finish, don't we? 
Well, Samson, he got his opportunity to finish, didn't he? You and I might have said, oh, it's too late for Samson. They poked his eyeballs out and they put them on a mill like a donkey pulling this wheel around. People spent their life laughing at what God was supposed to do, but that wasn't the end of Samson's story, was it? No, it isn't. Is it the end of yours? Where you find yourself right now. Is where you find yourself right now, where you want to be as a, as a leader? Is where you find yourself right now, where you want to be in your relationship with God? Or is there more? Is there something else? Is there something you feel God urging you to do? Is there something you feel like you're, you're being encouraged to be? Is there some struggle that you're having, some sin? Because Samson had them. Here's an important point. We go back to the book of Genesis and we take a look at two brothers, Cain and Abel. You guys remember them, right? Cain and Abel had a struggle with each other, right? And they both brought an offering to the Lord and Abel's was received and Cain's was rejected. And the Bible says that something in Cain's countenance changed that moment. And the Lord said to Cain... Cain, why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, won't you also be accepted? And then the Lord said this, Cain, sin is at the door. And its desire is to rule over you. But you should rule over For every one of us, we're no different than Cain. Sin is at the door. Its desire is to rule over us. But God said to Cain, he said, you have the ability to rule over it. You don't have to do what sin is calling you to do. You don't have to fail. You don't have to fall. You don't have to make an excuse. Today could be your day. For victory, just like the day Samson had. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to to guide, to lead, to step out and honor you in everything that we do, God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you lay out in your word. Here's what I want from you. This is the commitment I'm looking for. This is the desire that I have. Lord, you've already told us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make that your primary passion in life. And all these other things will be added unto you. God, may we take the word that you've already given us. And may we act upon that. God, may we make the choice to be men and women committed to raise up that next generation committed to share the truth of God's word with our kids and our grandkids, to never look at any failure as though that failure was final, because there is none final, save one. Every morning, my God's mercies are new. He gives me a new day. He gives me a new opportunity Every night I throw away that, that old day, all its failures, all its struggles, and I hear the promise of God. Tomorrow is your day. It's the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. This is the time. This is the victory. God, help us to see every day that way. Lord, help us to realize this is the call that you've placed on us. That we can see our weakness in Samson. That we can see our struggle. That these things are written to us for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. That we, Lord God, would finish well. And we give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We're going to close out tonight with a word of worship. We invite you to worship with us. And we'll meet you in the foyer for a time of fellowship. Later, carne asada at Roberto's. Oh, man. God bless you guys. Go in peace.